Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. Good morning, everybody. Lovely to be back up here. It's been a while. See if, see if, my, see if my son behaves himself in, in, the, in the service this morning. <laughs> so let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to, um, to gather, to uh, reflect on you, and to um, think, think and uh, engage with your word. Um, pray, Lord Jesus, that you help us. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anything that I say that is not of you, that uh, you would make it quickly forgotten. Search my heart, Lord. Um, guide my words. And if any is wicked in me, lead me in your path everlasting. Amen. So this morning, we are continuing in our What Love Does series, um, and I'm going to try something a little bit new this morning, so please bear with me. So if you have um, a notebook, well done you. Bring out your pens. Um, I'm going to ask you to, to do a bit of doodling. If you don't have a notebook, whip out your phone and make yourself a little note, right? Um, and also, on your phone, I suspect you will have a Bible app if you don't. Um, please come talk to me afterwards, because we need to sort that out for you. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we, what we're going to do today is I'm going to read the passage, and I'm just going to let, let us just sit in it for a bit, and I'm going to be quiet for a while, um, and I want you to um, just think about what we've, what we've read, and see if there's a question or a thought that pops into your head, because we are a church that believes that the Lord speaks to us, and the primary way he speaks to us is through his word. So, let's read together um, Luke 24 from verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked among with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and in deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but they didn't find his body. They came and told us what they, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Sometimes it's a bit disconcerting to sit in silence for a while, yeah? But I hope the Lord popped something to your head, even if it's a strange, silly question, like, I wonder what they ate for dinner? That's allowed. <laughs> um, so I'm going to also just, just look at this passage, ask a couple of questions, and then I've got sort of three, three ideas that I want to explore with you. Um, so the first thing is these, there's these two, two guys, they're walking along, um, and what struck me is really interesting is that they knew the woman had come to them that morning and said, Jesus is alive. And yet they still were sad. Like, what on earth is that about? Um, so there's these two, two people walking along. We don't know who they are, except the one guy was named Cleopas. Don't know who his companion was. It might have been his wife. Might have been another one of the disciples. Wasn't one of the twelve because they went back, back to Jerusalem and met the, met, met the eleven there. Judas had already um, killed himself by that stage. Um, and they, their walk was about seven miles, about two and a half hours, um, roughly two to two, three hours to walk. Um, and they were talking about all the things that were going on. They were grappling with stuff. Um, so one thing that re really struck me when I was reading this passage um, was the use of the word but... Um, and I, I wanted to, to, to just maybe look at all of those buts with you um, right now. So the first one was, the, was, but they didn't recognize him. Like, there was Jesus. If they were his disciples, it was likely that they'd been in his company quite a lot in the last three years. And it seems unusual that they wouldn't have recognized him. And the Amplified Translation actually says, their eyes were miraculously shut. Their eyes were actually purposefully shut. And now that's a big why. Like, why does God do that? So hopefully I'll, I'll touch on a couple of thoughts as to why I think that might be. But it's a, it is a, it's a good question to think about. Um, the next one is verse 19. It says, they, they were, <clears throat> Jesus asked them, what things? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Um, they crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And that particular but is really, really crucial to understanding this passage. Um, 
the Jews at that time, they believed that they were still in exile. Even though they were physically back in Jerusalem, the promises of Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and all the prophets had not been fulfilled. They were still ruled by a foreign power. The Romans still ruled them. So therefore, they thought Jesus would come as a military leader, take take the Romans out, basically, and become their king and establish another kingdom like the kingdom of, of, of David in, in the glory days of Israel. So, so that is really fundamental to how they were thinking about this. The next but is um, a little bit further down. Um, so the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but they didn't find his body. So this is like, what is going on? If he was alive, surely we would see him. And the, 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 the next one is the same thing. Um, when some of our companions, they went to the tomb, found it was just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. There's this lingering, there's nobody, what's going on? What on earth is going on? They had what is known in, in psychological terms as cognitive dissonance. That's when you've got two ideas in your head that contradict each other. And you're trying to believe both at once, but it's just impossible. And that's a very, very uncomfortable place to be. And we often encounter cognitive dissonance. Um, it's, it's, the, it's, it's that moment when we often encounter wrongness. Now, there's a really interesting book, um, not written by a Christian, but interesting nevertheless. That happens, by the way. Um, Catherine Schultz, she's written a book about being wrong. And uh, she, she, she refers to cognitive dissonance. And I'm just going to read a short portion. Um, so this term was co- coined by this, this fellow named Fetzinger. Um, and he described it as cognitive dissonance is the uncomfortable feeling that results from simultaneously holding two contradictory ideas. This dissonance can arise from a conflict between a belief and its disconfirmation. So if you, the spaceship will land on Tuesday. No spaceship landed on Tuesday. Or between a belief and a behavior. Smoking is bad for you. I'm only on my second pack for the day. Festinger proposed that there are two ways to ameliorate this this uncomfortable feeling. The most direct way is to change your mind or your actions. But this can be difficult if you're heavily invested in the disapproved belief or heavily dependent on the uh, contradicted behavior. The other option, more contorted but sometimes more comfortable, is to convince yourself and others that the false belief isn't really false or that the harmful behavior isn't all that harmful. So it's, it's a very interesting place to, to be, cognitive dissonance. But it also can be very emotionally hard and very tough to work through. Um, she talks about um, a person uh, who, who, who felt like she was in a void, in a black hole, like a toddler lost in New York. Completely small, hopeless, and alone. Cognitive dissonance is a very, very difficult thing, particularly if it's a big thing. Sometimes it's a little thing and we get over it quickly, but sometimes it's really hard. And to be in that space where you're grappling with things that don't seem to fit, don't seem to work. Um, And it's in this place that Jesus walks with them. Um, there's there's, 
the whole, the whole series that we're doing is called What Love Does. So as I was preparing, I thought, well, let me just look at the things that Jesus does. Because Jesus encapsulates for us what love is. Yeah? So a couple of things he does. He walks with them, and he asks them some questions. He listens to them. And that's, that's, that's something that we don't do very well sometimes, is listen. Um, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. The next thing he does, he berates them. He tells them they're idiots. Or, you fools! <laughs> How slow to believe! Now, that's a strange thing that, that love does. <laughs> Not quite sure. If, but in, this, in some sense, Jesus has done that to them before. And I, it surprises me a little bit that when he says that, they don't go, it's Jesus, because that's exactly how he's to, sp to, spoken to us before. But, but that, they don't recognize him then either. Um, then he explains the scriptures. He opens up the Bible to them and talks. Basically, they have a, a, a Bible study for two and a half hours. And somehow, that's an enjoyable thing for you, for them, rather. Um, so I don't know whether, whether a Bible study for two and a half hours fills you with great excitement. Some of you might do, and, and that's really great. For some of you, it might be, oh, my goodness. Can't think of anything worse. <laughs> I hope that's not you, but maybe it is. Let's be honest with each other. Um, the next thing he does is he breaks bread. And actually, it's funny because they urge him to stay. And Jesus is not one to be easily urged. Think about it. People wanted to make him king, and he went away. The people wanted, to, to, um, wanted, wanted him to do more miracles, and he wouldn't. People wanted him to stay in one place, and he went somewhere else. He's not one who's easily urged. But these two disciples say, oh, it's nearly nighttime. Come stay with us. And he stays, which is really good. That's great. I think that's fantastic. Um, and as he breaks the bread, there's something in that. And they're like, oh. And then he goes, and he's gone. Nick says, he thinks, uh, Jesus goes, wink, wink, and disappears, you know, as if it's a big game. And maybe it is a little bit too, because Jesus certainly has a sense of humor. Um, but there's something really profound. And then the disciples are like, oh, that was incredible. And they rush off back to Jerusalem. So let's look quickly what the Bible said love is, and then we'll look at those three actions that he, that he did. So... 1 Corinthians 13, from verse 4 to 8, says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And I think, as Jesus does these things with these two guys, or two people, um, this is what he's doing. He's kind. He's patient. He hopes. He protects. Um, so let's, let's look at the first one. I'm going to say, love listens. Now, I don't know if any of you have gone to George Orr Bank, um, the radio telescope just on the road. Great experience, good for kids too, if you have them. Um, and one of the, the outdoor exhibits they have there are called Whispering Dishes. And there's a picture of them there. 
Um, and it's the most incredible thing. They're quite far apart. I would say probably, what, 50 meters apart. Um, and you can talk, just normally talk, into one of the dish, one of the dishes, um, and the person on the other side can hear you. And I think that says something about listening. Sometimes we need to get into the right position to hear. And I think Jesus did that. He got into a position to hear them. And listening is a very powerful thing. In fact, there's another book that I've read recently, also not a Christian book. Um, sorry, I'm bringing out all my, my uh, other books today. Um, but basically, it's Time to Think by Nancy Klein. Um, and she describes something about listening, which I'm going to read to you as well. The best condition for thinking, if you really stop and notice, are not tense. They are gentle, they are quiet, they are unrushed, they are stimulating but not competitive. They are encouraging. They are paradox paradoxically both rigorous and nimble. Attention, the act of listening with pul palpable respect and fascination is the key to a thinking environment. Listening of this caliber is emzymatic. You are listening to someone. Much of the quality of what they are, they are hearing is your effect on them. Giving good attention to people makes them more intelligent. Poor attention makes them stumble over their words and seem stupid. Your attention, your listening, is that important. We think we listen, but we don't. We finish each other's sentences, we interrupt each other, we moan together, we fill in the pauses with our own stories, we look at our watches, we sigh, we frown, we tap our fingers, read the newspaper, or walk away. We give advice, give advice, give advice. Listening to each other, if you want to think for yourselves, requires discipline and most profound attention for each other. And Jesus gives them that attention. He lets them talk. He knows he's alive. <laughs> he knows what's happened. He, he was there. <laughs> he was the center, center of the action. But he asks them, what things? What are you talking about? I want to know. And he listens to them. And I think... Jesus listens to us, particularly when we're in a place of cognitive dissonance, when things are tough, when we're downcast. Another translation says brokenhearted. Jesus listens to us. My experience of, of cognitive dissonance is, is, is fairly, fairly recent. You know, um, and it's possibly, I don't know whether you, you will identify with this. My sister grew sick. She was a strong Christian. We prayed. We fasted. And for some reason, Jesus wanted her home. And that's a hard place. But Jesus is there. Theologian Robert Jensen says that word draw near means so close that there's almost no space left. He walked with, he walked with them, listened to them, 
so close. There was no space left. Psalm 145, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Now it's important to be honest when you, when you talk with him, because he knows. <laughs> he knows our thoughts before we even have them. And yet he still wants to listen. The other thing about listening is we need to position ourselves to listen to him. So maybe you've been talking at that, that end of that listen, whispering dish for a long time. Maybe we need to just sit like we did this morning and listen. Luke 18, verse 17 and eight, verse 18 says, For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. And this is coming straight after the parable of the sower. And I don't know with you, you're probably familiar with it. It's where um, Jesus talks about scattering seed, and the seed either grows in good places or bad places. And there's a lot of things that will hinder us from listening. The, the cares of this world. Um, the, the <laughs> we have an enemy. There is an enemy out there that wants to steal the things that God wants to say to you. So we must consider carefully how we listen. Position yourself to hear that still, small voice. Because God very rarely shouts. In fact, he whispers to us a lot of the time. And most of the time, for me anyway, I think I miss it. But if I just slowed down, been quiet for a bit, and listened, I would have heard him. It might have helped. Um, and I think the one thing about the way Jesus loves us in that kind, patient way, it's a challenge for us to be kind and patient with others. And something about listening to other people. Sometimes we go in thinking, oh, I know the, prob the solution to your problem. Bang. Here it is. And then you wonder why they've gone and done that thing again. Because sometimes they need you to listen rather than to help and to solve their problem. Because um, one of the, the, the key parts of, of, of therapy is, um, is for the person to actually come to the conclusion and the solution themselves. Much more effective and lasting change happens when we think for ourselves and arrive at an idea. And I think sometimes the Holy Spirit is wanting to help them arrive at an idea. And we keep on interrupting. So be kind and patient and listen to others. Because Jesus listens to us. And there's a saying, we have two ears and one mouth. <laughs> um, but also two ears, one for God and one for the other. Because sometimes we need to be listening for what God is saying to the other as well not just what I'm thinking. So I, I encourage you to, to be in a, a place, a thinking environment where you listen well, because prayer and meditation should be a space where we think. 
It's not a space where we turn off our brains because God wants to engage with the way we think and how we think and what we think about. So listen to him. Let him listen to you. Um, and be, be in a space where you really engage. So that was listening. So that's what Jesus did first. The next thing he did was he tells them how silly they are and then opens the scripture to us. So love reveals. Now, you probably can't see this picture, but you might, you might guess what it is. It's a Where's Wally um, picture. Now, I loved these um, growing up. Um, and it's something about them that's really fascinating. Um, he's hidden in plain sight. But, yeah, it takes a while to find him. <laughs> so... I'm just going to share with you a little bit about my thoughts about why perhaps Jesus was hidden in that moment, why they didn't recognize him. I think one thing might be the resurrected Christ in all his glory, in all his fullness, would be completely undeniable. Revelation says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no option. You'll see him and you'll go, ha, oh, and that'll be that. But Jesus, he loves you. He created you as an individual and as an autonomous entity. And he wants your love for him to spring out of you. Not because, whoa, it's going to happen anyway at some point. But he's giving you an opportunity to love him from your own volition. And I think there's something very impactful about respecting our choice. I think Jesus does that. And interestingly, the resurrected Christ used the scriptures to reveal himself. Now, you would think that the experience would, of, of seeing Jesus incarnate, resurrected from the dead, would be enough. But he then showed them, just like he would show us now, that all of the Bible points to himself. And by going through the scriptures with these men, he was able to resolve that cognitive dissonance. He was able to show them what was true and what was not. He was able to peel back their interpretation of the scriptures and say, you only got a heart right. This is what it's all about. It's all about me. Um, and I'm not sure if the, 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 the verses are the right way around or, or if I've, I've got them the other way. Um, but we'll get there in a moment. Yes, the first one, verse 24. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. All the scriptures. Now, I love the Bible. It's a fabulous book. I, it makes me excited thinking about it. But there are parts of it that are really tough. There's stuff in there that you're like, oh my goodness. I was reading a Bible story to my son, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is violent. I don't know whether this is suitable for kids. 
You know, you draw it with nice pictures, but it's still violent. I mean, there's things about incest, rape, murder, child sacrifice, genocide. All of that is in the Bible. And you think, oh my goodness, what is that about? These are not easy things to read. And there are parts of the Bible that you're like, oh, wow. <laughs> I'm not particularly comfortable with that. But somehow, Jesus is in all of it. And I think it's about looking for Jesus in the scripture, which then makes that scripture powerful. Because there were people in Jesus' day that knew the scripture. Um, John 5, verse 39 to 40 says this, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So, the, the words in the book are not really the thing that is going to save you. It's the person behind those words. So you can know your Bible back to front, but if you haven't found the person behind the words, you will still find yourself in places of cognitive dissonance. There's a, a meta-narrative in all of Scripture about creation, what God created, how it has been distorted and damaged by sin, and how it will be redeemed and resurrected, just like Christ has been re resurrected. That we ourselves, we have been created in the image of God, but we are tainted and broken with sin, choices we've made, circumstances that have happened to us. And yet that is going to be redeemed and recreated so that we can bring his perfect order back to earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, be king of my heart so that your heaven will dwell on earth in me and through me. So when we, in, when we read the scripture, make it a conversation with the person behind the scripture. If you encounter something that is hard and difficult, and you will, because <laughs> the Bible is full of them, bring that to the person behind the scripture and let him talk to you through that word. So I would encourage you, if you haven't read all of the Bible, Try to do that at some point. But sometimes reading it all is not always what you need either. Sometimes it's better to read just a little bit, but read it lots and deep. Make it go right in. Memorize it if you can. Sarah pre preached the other day in our, in our, um, sword of, um, in our uh, Armor of God series, and she talked about the sword of the Spirit and the Bible. And she said something that I'm going to reiterate again this morning because I think it's really profound. As a soldier, you wouldn't put your sword down when the battle gets tough. You would pick it up. Yeah? So when things are hard and tough, don't put your Bible on the shelf. Pick it up. Read it. And <laughs> for me, you know, I've had phases in my life where I read my Bible in the mornings because that worked for me. And phases in my life where I do it in the evenings. And phases where I, I catch it on my phone as I'm rushing to places. 
<laughs> it doesn't matter when you do it, how you do it, just do it. Yeah? Okay, final point, and I must hurry up because I've only got five minutes left. Love lavishes. When I thought of their breaking bed, the, the image that came to mind was a cupcake. I know that's, that's, that's probably sacrilegious, but um, lovely icing, very yummy cake. Because oh. I was reading about... Um, I was reading in Ephesians, and this is the scripture that, that, that I was reading at the time. Ephesians 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. It's, it's lots. It's, it's almost excessive. It's that very voluptuous cupcake that you enjoy. It's lavished on you. His grace is like that. It's, it's, it's delicious. It's glorious. It's amazing. Um, maybe you just don't like cupcakes as much as I do, but it's great. And what, what is really profound um, is that Jesus is revealed through his hospitality in that outpouring of his love, his grace, by sharing food. Now, this... Abundant grace talks primarily about the sacrament. His, you think about the Last Supper and when, when they, we break bread together, we remember his sacrifice and what he did, that his broken body heals us, that his blood covers us and our sins are forgiven because he died for us, and that our relationship with God is restored through his death. That is one of the meals that is we remember as we break bread together. But the other thing is that this hospitality heralds the gospel. It, it, it's, a, it's a way that people then can see how amazing that sacrifice was. By breaking bread and sharing a meal together, it's a way that we can very practically love one another. It's often involved with conversation around a dinner table, another opportunity to listen to one another. And it's interesting, um, N.T. Wright picks it up, that the, this, the words used in this passage um, for breaking bread are not the same words that are used in the Last Supper example. It's actually the words that are used when he, Jesus fed the 5,000. The fishes and the loaves brought by that little boy. Jesus broke them and shared them. And it was in that miracle that he fed 5,000 men, let alone their women and kids. And I think that Jesus wants to break bread with us and encourage us to break bread with others, to enjoy food together and to meet that physical need, but also to meet that spiritual need. And it's an opportunity where the gospel can be Shown. It's amazing. After that 5,000, feeding the 5,000, all of those people wanted to make Jesus king. It foreshadows this very moment where Jesus is now king. King not only of Israel, but king of every individual heart. Those that will submit to him, and he will make you 
new. And it's because he loves you. So as I conclude, um, perhaps you're downcast in an area where you adrift in mind and soul. There's stuff that you're just grappling with and it's making you down. Jesus is near to you. Position yourself and talk to him because he'll listen to you. Or perhaps you're wondering, where on earth is Jesus in this chaos of my life? He might be hidden for a reason, but he's there. And he wants to talk to you. And the best place to start is to open your Bible and have a chat. And perhaps you're standing, perhaps you're standing on on a decision point and wondering, is this grace really for me? And I would encourage you, take a step. There's a delightful cupcake waiting just for you. His grace is lavish. He loves you and he wants to share it with you. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarrington.com. Oh,